one of the very big question remains unanswered that time is where is my product who has delivered it and when it's going to come compare it with amazon you have a view of when you've placed the order when it's coming on your doorstep or either you've missed it but if you see a life of a project team leader they basically know it's been ordered or it's received okay it's ready to install that's it Hello everybody and welcome to the Bricks and Bytes podcast, your go-to for all things construction and property technology. On today's show we have Sanka Deep. Sanka is the founder and product lead for Lattice, which is a construction supply chain visibility platform. In this episode we talk about supply chain issues, implementation of construction technology, good and bad software, and new business models. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you enjoyed, please leave us a review. This helps us to get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology in the built world. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsor, Beta. If you want to connect with some of the biggest players in the construction tech world, including tier one building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors, and advisors, check them out by visiting www.t-beta.com. And this is www.the hyphenbeta.com. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes Podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. Hey, Sanka, looks like you have some experience in both the UK and India tech scene. What's the difference and similarities between the two? First of all, thank you for having me here. You're welcome. I think in both these countries, there's one similarity is there to solve problems for the customers that's there. But what's uniquely different is the scale. India is massive. We have a massive population. Our problems are way different to the ones which uh, we have here. So that's the only difference I see. But in terms of uh, you know how Indian ecosystem, tech system has evolved over the last 10 years, has been crazy. Back then, I think in 2012, when I started my journey, it was more about replicating what was working in the West and putting it into our business model and then Indianizing it to scale. <laughs> uh, but now this has changed. Uh, there are real innovation coming in. Uh, is, are these innovations used in the Indian market or are they exported abroad? Yeah, my second would be this only, but now they are building it for the local market, then exporting it to the world. So it, it, it was previously the other way around, but uh, we have clearly evolved now. And here in the UK, I think it's a real, real need for innovation. Mm. You know, when you go to someone, customers, investors, or even talking to guys like you, like speaking, it's always about talking about how you're better than the competition what innovativeness you are bringing in. So from day one, you have to be innovative to stand out. Whereas, yeah, that's the basic difference, I think. It's there. Other people, uh, other like demographic or not demographic, but like people's tastes and, and needs similar. Because I honestly find like as a British person myself, that Indian and British people are quite, actually quite similar. Curry, yes. <laughs> curry, chicken <laughs> mine, curry, uh, yes. mine does not agree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so does that mean that you want to touch on history between these two? <laughs> no, let's not <laughs> let's not bore everyone with that. But like, does that mean that if if it works in 
one place, i.e. India, is going to work in the UK? Or is there like uh, teething issues when something perhaps comes from India over to the UK? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't say taste, but the whole complexity of both countries are different. Mm. You know, our, our mindset is get the best possible product for as cheap as possible. Get the best value. Whereas in the West, it's more like give more value, be ready to pay more money for that. So that's there. And uh, I like that. Yeah. And at the same time in India, it's also when we do something, it's more frugal way. So making it as cost effective as possible. But in the West, you're like, okay, let's throw some money in and then let's solve the problem in. Mm. So that, that's the two clear differentiation. But again, uh, if you're launching a product in the UK, it has its own nature and yeah. own uh, you know, needs uh, and yeah the same goes with India. the further west you go as well the more money they throw right when you go over to the US they're just like ah oh, yeah here's a check yeah. <laughs> here's a 10 here's a 10 <laughs> <laughs> make sure you don't ask less than 10 yeah <laughs> yeah of course cool and and you also done a TED talk right on um, was it the future of work for startup founders oh thank god you asked for this <laughs> can you talk to that a little bit yes quite an experience I would say uh, and I think a lot have been spoken about how the work dynamics of employees will change with, uh, you know, being everything virtual. But one of the biggest questions which was unanswered was how the founders are going to deal with the situation where, you know, you're not sitting. I remember my previous startup where I used to be with my co-founder. It's like it was a marriage. Yeah. I, I used to spend around 15, 16 hours with him talking about product sitting together in a room and cut short covid happens you're both apart and in this case with lattice divorced yeah with lattice is international divorce one is sitting in bangalore and here so uh, wow yeah and what i thought was communication is the first key possible and i think more and more tools will come now to make sure that not only just employees but founders can also collaborate like Miro's there you know you have pitch.com all these things have been created to virtually communicate with your founders but yeah it was a nice talk to give basically an understanding the, the problem with TED talk is you just don't give your opinion mm. but at the end of it you have to give a answerable or actionable way how you can achieve that. Mm -hmm. So that's something you have to really think about and give your personal experience as well. Okay. So did you do you have any insights? Yeah, uh, I think two things, and this might not look like a buzzword, but go for it. Back to the basic communication and culture. So these are the two things which can bind any company together and uh, rest everything is, yeah. Communication improves product, mm -hmm. you know, understanding your, and culture is basically what you are, like serving your customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice, excellent, cool. Going to Lattice, so that's your software. And so can you in briefly in two sentences describe what does Lattice do? Yeah, so Lattice is a supply chain management platform for construction what we do is we make uh, we help project teams to gather material status and other sort of reports easily from their suppliers rather than using email chains or spreadsheets okay so that was my preludium to to actually next question so because th that's something that i'm very can't say passionate about but uh, what interests me because there's so much software various type of software in the industry and to onboard someone to use 
their new software. It takes a lot of resource, lots of cost also, and time and dedication. So how do you see implementation of new of software in construction technology broadly? What are your thoughts on this? Great question. I'll go back to your podcast, which is from Will. First, he said, <laughs> oh, you've got the selling answers. is difficult. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> selling is difficult, but implementing is way, way difficult. So I think from, from his output, I'll take some donuts for the team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for us, what we have seen, to be honest, is implementation is hard. But if you work with the right team and you have a good plan to strategize on, it's a good start. Like for us, what's happening is when you take them away from, you know, you shouldn't disrupt them because as usual, construction people are very, very busy. Mm-hmm. They have so much work on their hand. And if you're coming there, disrupting it, it just puts them off. But the thing is that you have never achieved anything without disrupting. So it has to be very disruption in a very smart way. That's what we are doing. We, we make sure that their workflow is quite similar to what they're used to. Like if they're used to having an Excel sheet on doing it, we be creating something like Excel sheets on steroids, something like that. So, mm-hmm. so that it just makes them not that an alien environment, but at the same time, they, they know how it's done, but you get better out of your data. Be honest. Yeah, and and just put lattice to one side for a sec. We can come back to that. But yeah. in general, in the construction tech world, and maybe like you can share some. It could be experience from lattice, but it could be from people you hang around with, or even experience maybe in other industries that you bring across. So, companies that are trying to implement construction tech solutions is some of the key points we've noted down here for discussion would be costs. So, obviously, there's a cost of the software, and then there's also what. I tend to see is a cost of someone to run that software as well. So like you take a project management system, you can't just rely on the people that you're already paying salaries to, to run that. Like you probably need to bring an administrator or, or, or similar in to come and uh, come and actually manage that for your company. So do you have any thoughts on that? The latest I've worked with is one company, my friend's working and uh, he, th- that's basically in construction, not in supply chain, but into more about design stage implementation. So I think it was not with the construction people in general, but it was with the architect and the uh, builder. Mm -hmm. So it was the same scenario where the cost involved was okay. But I think, again, to run the software, they had to speak to at least three or four different people at four different times, which is, again, you know, a disruption in its own because everyone has their own way of doing it. So uh, to be honest, I don't have the clear answer, but the day I take my company a little further, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give you my <laughs> two cents about it. So yeah, but but that's truly there. Yeah. yeah, I always think that it could be as important as like one of the other buzzwords like product market fit or go to market. Like your implementation strategy has to be like nailed on. And also the importance of integrating it into existing workflows. I think you touched upon it there where you make sure that you guys um, do do it. But do you have any other thoughts on um, like other companies that might be doing this? Yeah, I think now interoperability has been a big topic in construction for a very long time. So every you know standalone product or any solution cannot just service only one single thing. They have to be integrated across all the channels so that you know you project manager have a total view of what's happening and finally what companies do and and this is an experience i know people have had when 
you uh, implement a software and then you have adapted all your workflows, you've, you've paid for it, you've, um, you've hired someone to manage it for you and then you realize it's mediocre. It doesn't live up to the expectation. Yeah, I can add to that because that's exactly the process we went through. We introduced one of the software in our business uh, probably uh, August last year and I just wanted to give it a try. We paid like £1,000 to to just get the training and then monthly mm-hmm. payments, obviously, as well. And it turns out that it solved probably 20, 30% of what I would like it to solve, but it doesn't solve the business case. Yeah. So it's very broad software for, for maybe plumbers, for electricians, but it doesn't touch on my needs of my business or my industry needs. So how do companies can, is there any way that people can look into in a universal way to decide, okay, that's how I should go about choosing my software. I think I can give it from my own experience. I think uh, that's the best way to answer any difficult question. Mm. I'll be, for us, what we have seen is, it's just not, you know, you sell the product and they have accepted it and you've given them the training and just leave them alone. It doesn't happen that way. It's just things showing up every day or showing up every now and then to check on how can we add value. It might be at one stage, it will be like, okay, this is sort of working for us. Maybe we need this more. It's just being there and saying, can we do more for you? And it's and sometimes people have also unrealistic demands. They want software to do everything, but it's just creating. Yes, I was going to say, sounds like Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's just that at that time you need to communicate and tell them what can you achieve and what not and i think one of the key things which we do at lattice is also at the very start of the project we have the key outcomes from this application which you can get and we try to hit them and get that done and it's a famous saying under promise over deliver Mm. yes that's the key Always. Okay, uh, Sanka, so tell us a little bit more in detail about Lattice. What is the core problem that you guys are solving? Yeah, Lattice, what we saw was supply chain uh, communication is uh, quite a big problem for construction project managers. So typically in a construction site, you have at least 10 to 15 suppliers, different suppliers, and they have all their own nuances and logistics and everything is fragmented. And what binds that all together for project teams are Excel sheets, spreadsheets, and email chains. And we said, no, boss, this is not the way you do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why we came in. And one of the other thing is the lack of visibility for project teams. They don't have, you know, as I said, all this information is fragmented into different parts. They don't have an overview of what's happening, what supplier A, B, C, D is doing, or how the whole life cycle of the product is documented. I mean, there are so many products in the market who will give you best of the procurement softwares. But what happens after this is important, which is, you know, right from when the product leaves the supplier end to being installed on a construction site, that's where the data is. That gives you insight to how good your next project is going to be as well. Why is that important? What is important in this process? One of the very big question remains unanswered that time is, where is my product? Who has delivered it? And when is going to come? Compare it with Amazon. You have a view of when you have placed the order, when it's coming on your doorstep, or either you have missed it. But if you see a life of a project team leader, they basically know it's been ordered, 
Oh, it's received. Okay, it's ready to install. That's it. But imagine a scenario where you have all the information right from being procured to you know the material being uh, coming on the local depot, being installed, mm-hmm. being QC checked. All the information on one single tap of a button. And what different we do is we push it into a or via Autodesk into a digital twin. So all your buildings, if you have windows or precast concretes, steel structure, Martin, in this case, if you have all these things, you can visualize it and you can say, okay, this has been delivered on site, this has been installed, this has issues, sort of stuff like that. So what we do is, you know, we give them a digital twin view of what's happening. So yeah. which is today's world, it's not possible with other applications because as I said, most of the solution stop at procurement and they do border after that. Yeah, yeah, they give us draw the line there. And I can also say from uh probably help out with like payments as well of these materials, because yes. you'll find, yeah, like people will order material or contractors order materials and they don't get paid for them until like how 60, maybe 90 days, maybe longer in some yeah. stupid contracts. So it gives full visibility to that. And there's also like UK law is very weird when it comes to like ownership of material as well. So perhaps it um tackles that. How do you track this, all of this information? Is it, I need to ask, is there any blockchain used there? And that's a very interesting question, Martin, but we haven't gone mm-hmm. there, but really, really interested to see how it goes on because I think there's definitely a relation between this and the blockchain as well. But we haven't tried it, but we want to see how it evolves. I think there's a company in the US who's doing it with the supply chain. So hmm. yeah, Digibuild was there with, in, in your podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. So they are, yeah. they are implementing. Nice. Yeah. Mm. It is normally more than one person or one company doing the same thing, right? So interesting, but good to share innovation between you as well, if possible to help out the industry as a collective. <laughs> Cool. Martin, do you, do you want to talk about your business model as a service? Uh, well, we can touch on this. Yes, sure. So I think we had this con- similar conversation with Owen a few months ago and actually today as well about service um, software solving very broad problems for very broad audience. Uh, but what they are not solving, in my view, is problems for a particular type of business. So you can call it a business model as a service. So you provide a business model as a software and it taps into all the needs of the business. And you can basically purchase the software, which is your, if you create an acronym, it's B-M-A-A-S, BMAS, <laughs> BMAS, BMAS. And once you have it, in theory, you can have all of the secret sauce of the business to run it. Yeah, and you're just applying your specialist and professional knowledge to obviously solve the client's problems. Yeah? So I just wanted to find out what's your take on this kind of philosophical, actually, uh, question, <laughs> even, yeah? because I don't think it exists. Actually, so it's just something I sometimes think about. Interesting, especially I think uh, if you think about it in terms of construction, there are so many stakeholders, isn't it? from architects, engineers, to bidders and everything. It's quite interesting. My take will be one solution doesn't solve for everyone. Martin is 
is a na- tough nut to crack i think he he wants everything to be done from one stop my wants to press a button and get paid <laughs> <laughs> exactly that thank you <laughs> so but my clear answer will be i i think every architects have their different needs different way of communicating same with the engineers especially structural and all uh, but one thing that can solve all of them i think it's bim model to be honest at some point bim will have all the information which is required for all the stakeholders so i think uh, that's one of the thing so nice. b mass can be bim mass <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting close to christmas <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you agree with this or and you you might have much maybe more. i i'd be completely honest with you like i'm not familiar with bim because i've never used it and i don't know like what's happening with the industry in fact we never really even spoke to anyone martin in a tech podcast about bim have we which is we will have in the next few weeks someone who runs i can't remember the name but uh, they do actually digital twins and they do surveys and they also have podcast about this kind of stuff so in the us mm. Mm. yeah 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 so I, okay. so, so i don't know yes. the solution but what i would say is that there's lots of software out there for a reason. It's because they all do something very well. One will do mm-hmm. one thing very well. Another will do another thing very well or slightly better than the other one that does it. So it's like you have to have 10 subscriptions to try and like manage your productivity. Say. Yeah, that, that's tough, right? Because like when you think about the outgoings created by these 10 subscriptions, it becomes um, a hefty bill every month, yes? 100%. And, and one of the key frustrations when you speak to people that own construction companies is they don't want like 10, 15 logins just to, yeah. just to manage a project, right? They, they want one place where they can go. But I'm, I'm afraid, and I'm going to say, I don't think that exists. And I'm not sure it ever will exist. Interoperability, that was in between. A lot of topic, a lot of discussion about that. I don't know how much we achieved as an industry, but I think each application standalone should speak to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Should, yeah. BIM is a great example of how it doesn't work yeah. and it has not been mm-hmm. cracked. It, in general and in theory, it works very well and perfectly. But even like taking the IFC models to Tecla, from Tecla to Revit, this kind of stuff, so, which is the same mm-hmm. type of file, it just doesn't work well because it just doesn't. So it's been invented, I don't know, 10 years ago-ish. And there is a feeling that, the like, I'm not going to say names because actually it shouldn't, but these large uh, software providers, they created huge behemoths and they are just keeping them as they are. And there's little innovation in this, actually. Yeah? Beam sounds great and sounds innovative, but I don't feel like it is perfect. Yeah? But maybe I'm too idealistic about this. No, you're not wrong in that. But I think as an industry, we are going somewhere. The, the point that we all are sitting together and discussing this means there is something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Going, Yeah, yeah. I think we will be there very soon. But yeah, you're right. There has to be some system where each one of them has at least, say, 10% of the project need is done properly i mean even if it's architects engineer or something a software should be there it does one third of it properly so that rest you can pay and get it done yeah but what, what's happening according to martin is right that you know all the others is like 10 percent from here 10 percent from this software other 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 it just builds up into a even more organized chaos yep and you need your password manager gets even bigger 
<laughs> that's frustration I have anyway and I think uh, that actually leads us nicely into our next point is uh, Shankar you have experience obviously in other industries like fin- fintech is that right yes is there anything that like, we could learn from fintech in the construction industry that maybe you're applying or, or that you have applied to your journey with Lattice so far to have better profits <laughs> <laughs> oh yes I think there is a great uh, way of um, you know building two worlds are coming together i think fintech and uh, uh, construction tech are moving closer i think one of the greatest example is how you play your suppliers that has always been the i mean the question for every construction house we delayed payments and other sort of things i think that that has to be digitized and from the suppliers end also how you asking for payments it's not the same asking a check or contract sending them it's making that easier for materials also mm-hmm. be, yeah it, i mean if it's easy to do rest of the i mean construction has been there forever isn't it so and it's one of the biggest i think it's the largest industry in the world yeah and billions and billions of money flow every day and i i think fintech has a big part to do with it and to answer your question how are we integrating yes it's something we are working on is once the work is done how can we accelerate the process of getting the money from the contractors or something like that so we are working on it but uh, yeah my uh, fintech experience was quite unique hmm? it was short lived ah. but it was quite unique so we we were creating a platform for you know first time home buyers both in uh, in india where and uk as well i think that was part of our market as well where we create data from the banking you know your via open banking getting all the information what about your spending and all giving you the right amount how much you need to save to say wow. where you live taking all the things into parameter where you live where you want to live how much you're earning where and also having the data about what your future basically growth of your career is like how you work at this moment and giving a cumulative uh, answer say how much you must save in a month or something like that it was short lived because fintech is good but very difficult to build really it's a lot of money you can't bootstrap a fintech company it's it's crazy regulations mm, yeah need to be a lawyer lawyer costs yeah, yeah. need to be a big player or backed by a big player straight away yes just to get you know the get there right and uh, yeah it was short lived because we didn't get much funding about it but uh, we did manage to sell the back end stack mm. stack to a leading company in the US so it was, oh, excellent it w- wasn't as bad as this yeah, so. this actually brings me to the point that like based on this example it's very difficult to innovate in fintech unless you are very well backed by bigger pockets, hmm. right? In in construction, you actually don't need to have, as, as long as it's software. If it's hardware, robotics, or any tangible things happening on site, it's obviously much larger money. But in terms of software in construction, there is so much opportunity at relatively low cost, right? Because you can play with small projects. You can, you know, as long as you are able to convince architect, engineer, or contractor, it's much easier to do so. Yeah? Well, you can't do it with a bank in financial technology industry, right? <laughs> Why not? Who, You're not going to say to someone, can you deposit me some money into the Bank of Martin and let me test something? <laughs> that's called fraud, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a good insight. Yeah, but I think you're right as well. Just to uh, elaborate on this, uh, one of the greatest things in construction is you can also, you don't have to really target the big, general contractors 
to prove your thing. Uh, you can go to smaller contractors, build software for them also. And I think there are still a lot of things. I think one of your postcard, podcast, I heard uh, somebody say that uh, there are many, many small solutions, standalone solutions, which are going to come in construction every year now. Mm-hmm. So now that construction is getting a lot of uh, sort of the VC money or attention from others, I think there will be a lot of softwares who will be coming in solving different problems. But then it goes to Martin's questions about the BMAS, <laughs> whether we can integrate it all together. <laughs> Guys, one more question, actually. So, Sanka, tell us, how can we help founders and prevent them from creating bad software, which is basically something that has already been done, which is very similar to what's on the market, And apart from just changing a name and having a nice website, it doesn't bring much value. That's a great question. I ask this every day to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question to be asking, to be fair, if you're building a software company in construction. I mean, it goes back to the basics for me. One of the main reasons is understanding customer need more than anyone else. Talking to your customer and having your own, basically, uh, stamp on the solution on the problem you're solving. I, I mean, like with our clients whom we work with, every day we sort of go back and say, how can we do better for them? And I just don't want to say better in a in a buzzword, yeah. better, but realistically, how can we not only save cost for them, but how can we build a better feature at a much, much less price ourselves? I mean, in India, there's a word called jugar, which means a very frugal way of finding solution to different problems. Mm. And I mm. think we do Jugar every day, uh, you know, trying to find a very, to answer your question, to be honest, it's being aligned with your uh, customer, what they need, checking back and seeing how can you do things better for them? Are they achieving the goals which are there? And uh, in terms of bad software, I don't think so. There's anything called bad software. It's just called the wrong software, <laughs> wrong timing, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and the best thing about software is you can change it anytime. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a line of code. So once you understand your customer needs, bad software, ugly looking software can be done good in just a day. But what feeds into the system is what your customer needs, how you can be serve them better, to be honest. And one more thing, everyone misses this out, is service. End of the day, you're giving a service. Give them the best customer support system. That's a core proposition for many Indian uh, startups today. If you go to them, they'll just hook onto you, make sure that you never leave the platform. Not by irritating you, but just making sure that are we providing you the best service? And we learn as a software also, as I said, it'll develop itself. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I can plug one more, actually. So you as a founder and obviously working previously in other founders of tech companies, what's the secret sauce? Is it pragmatic step-by-step approach or is it like a big vision and billion-dollar business? I hope I exit a billion-dollar company. <laughs> <laughs> but there is no secret sauce. I think for me, it's has always been go there, test the market as fast as possible. You see what's working, what's not, if it's working, why it's working, and sign up customers as soon as possible, figure it out as soon as possible before taking some VC money in. Because once you have some money in from investors, they will have 
say on everything mm-hmm. you you lose the independence so until you are ready to scale or boom don't take vc money and once you have taken it take it at a right time where you can explode basically you know you can go to xyz customers say we have done this we have done this okay boss can we take it to the next level so i think that's where there's no secret sauce we are once you become a founder i think the first thing you know is 90% of the time you will fail but you're just hoping that 10% you will succeed and i think we get up every day to make that 10% count to be honest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. agreed very nice i like it okay let's go let's do some off topic questions so shankar we we don't put these in in the questions beforehand mm. cuz we like to uh, mm. we like to hear the creative side of it so catch you off guard <laughs> not quite <laughs> but maybe <laughs> so what does a day to day look like in the life of shankar wake up at 7 o'clock take the dogs out what dogs do you have sit down i have a golden retriever and a labrador oh lovely very nice they came all the way from india with me so yeah wow really mm. they enjoying That's the awesome. uk weather so yeah take them out for a walk <laughs> and i think from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock it's it's constant you know reaching out to people and i think for me it's linkedin i think I've stopped using Instagram, Facebook and all the time. I like this is my poison. LinkedIn is my poison. Reaching out to people, uh thinking, researching and sometimes doing these podcasts like this which is a gives you some uh, energy to do that, you know, to yeah. on yeah. Nice. I sleep very late. So at one o'clock or two o'clock I'll, I'll be still replying to emails. Yeah, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Owen is almost waking up. Yeah. <laughs> We could run a 24/7 business if you're interested. <laughs> In the UK. Yeah. <laughs> is there any book that you can recommend on any topic? Yeah, I think recently one book I read was uh from Phil Knight, uh Shoe Dog. Nike. Yeah. 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 Uh, it took a long time for me to get hold of this book as like I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. but this but mm-hmm. but an old classic for me is uh, losing your virginity by richard branson mm. always the best book uh, i think mm-hmm. he he wrote his heart out in this book you know just how an entrepreneur should be you know uh, it's a great book if you guys actually i haven't read this one i think i've read yes or something mm. by him but not not this one so need to check this out what is your number one productivity hack not red bull No what? Red Bull. <laughs> Not Red Bull. <laughs> mm, I think for me it's writing down everything on a paper. Again, I I think it's back to basics for me, I think. Uh you know, people have all this blocks and all done, but what I have is uh 30 to 40 minute slots of uh my time and I don't do it on a screen. I I put it on my uh pen and paper sheet and I go mm. go on this and uh, and another thing is uh if I'm writing an email or something to someone, I take at least 30 minutes to research on things and do it. So I have slots wow. to do this for everything. So if I have to say unwind and just listen to music, it's that 30 minutes and yeah. and I don't work mm. at that time. So it's it's just that and then take a break of 10 15 minutes and for me 10 15 minutes is playing with my dog so yeah it's nice that's interesting so like the, my problem with that would be okay i can slot my my life mm. into these slots but what is the priorities what should i put in these slots because that's kind of something i sometimes would struggle with well, okay i have so much things so many things to do and what should i put in my time in the slot 
I don't think you'll ever get it right because one week something else will be a priority over another. But as long as you have the time in there in some capacity, you can always switch it around is what I say. But you should also know your priorities as well, right? Is what I would say. Like, mm. is it family? Is it work? Is it gym? Like, you kind of know they're thereabouts, what you should be doing. That's my opinion. Yeah. Martin, when do you feel you're the most uh, productive? Mornings or nights? That's a funny thing because most of it is morning because I don't have any phone calls. I can focus. No one has disrupted my day yet. <laughs> or it's in the evening when no one is, again, disrupting my day mm. <laughs> anymore. So like 7 p.m. onwards. You know about the 20%, 80% rule, isn't it? Like the 20% of takes more, those work, completes 80% of your tasks. So mm-hmm. narrowing down that those important ones may actually solve a lot of the problem. I'm super productive at night. So I'm up just doing, making sure I have everything prepared for the next day. So, mm-hmm. but I haven't got it right, to be honest. Yeah, no, I would say that it's like, it's a forever moving target. Like you'll never, there's never going to be one system you adopt and uh, implement and it works for a year. Like it might work for two weeks and then something changes and you have to change it again. It's about keeping on That's top true. of it. I started reading one more book called The Art of Thinking Clearly. It's not bad. Who's the writer? By Rolf Dobelli. Okay. That is also a quite remarkable book. I forgot all of a sudden. I'm I'm actually <laughs> reading it halfway through. I was like, okay. Oh, nice. What book do you... Uh, let me ask a question in your own podcast. It. What book do you recommend, Owen? Okay, so the last guest asked this question, mm. and I don't want to give the same answer. So something that comes to mind that I'm reading... How to become a better parent. <laughs> parenting books. <laughs> to be fair, I have a book down here. It's called... Child Psychology and Development for Dummies. So if anyone wants to read that and go for it. (laughs) (laughs) But I was going to say that a business one would be uh, To Sell is Human by Mm. Daniel Pink, I think it is. It's Mm. got some Daniel Pink? Yeah, it's about sales and influence and persuasion. It's it's interesting. Mm. Martin? I don't think I have like a great book, business book, that I can tell now. A few months back, I read book by Ben Horowitz, which was Hard Things About Hard Things. And that was very good because it went through the, his journey as a founder, not as a founder, but as a, someone who started, who was part of the startup. So that was very nice. But I'm recently uh, exploring, I mean, very interested in like finance and I'm reading about now about, well, I mentioned this in the last podcast as well. So hmm. No, you've got to do another one. <laughs> Cheating. Wedding planning. There you go. Mm. A Wedding Wedding planning for dummies. <laughs> First thing is, if you're a dummy, you shouldn't be getting married. <laughs> or do dummies get married? <laughs> and just to put you off guard, what are your, Owen and Martin both, what were your top three podcasts in uh, Bricks and Bites? All right, guys, see you next week. <laughs> I really liked Andreas. Like, he's such a cool guy. Yeah. But everyone we have on is, I know this is a cop out, but every, like, we do research and we try to get the best people on here. So, like, mm. everyone ha- always has a great story to tell and does share some really good knowledge. Mm. And if someone would like to weave all of that knowledge together into some form of like ebook or something, I don't know, I'm sure it'd be quite valuable to people in construction tech. Mm. Uh, my favorite was probably in person uh, that we did. 
probably a few months back. So that was that was great. Uh, that was with I- April Moss and Lynn mm. Cooper. Uh, mm. But that was the f- the physical part of it. It was great to yeah great yeah. to be in front of someone and just completely different experience. Mm. So Shankar, where can people find out more about you and your endeavors? Yeah, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn or just type Shankardeep and you'll find me. Uh, you can visit our website at www.lattice.site to get more information about us. And uh, at the same time, I haven't spoken much about Lattice in this podcast because I wanted it to be more of a understanding how things are. Just a good chat about it. But yeah, just write me an email at shankar at lattice.site if you want to know more and I'll be happy to chat. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shankar. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you in the next episode.